Welcome back to part two in the podcast series where we are talking all about play. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the six stages of play, typically at what age you would expect to see each of these stages. I'll give specific examples of each stage to help you identify which stage your little one might be in, as well as ways to facilitate each stage of play. Hello, I'm Marissa, a certified, licensed, and practicing pediatric occupational therapist, and this is OT with Marissa. Here we will review common terminology and topics, chat about daily OT practices, and provide simple but effective tools and strategies you can implement with the child or children in your life. Whether you're thinking about a career in occupational therapy, are a current student, new grad, or seasoned therapist, my hope is this podcast has something to offer you to learn, grow, and be the best therapist you can. I'm so happy you're here. So I think it's fun to throw in just a little bit of history. The Six Stages of Play was developed by a woman named Mildred Parton, who was a sociology professor at the University of Minnesota Institute of Child Development. And she created these six stages of play by observing social participation and behaviors of preschool-aged children during free play. The six stages of play is really more of a theory and means of classification of children's participation through play. So, what are those six stages? The first stage is unoccupied play. The second stage is solitary play. The third stage is spectator or onlooker play. The fourth stage is parallel play. The fifth stage is associative play. And the sixth stage is cooperative play. All right, so let's talk about unoccupied play first, as that's our first stage. Unoccupied play is actually developed right at birth and goes up until about three months. And this is kind of, it doesn't really look like play. It's a little bit more hidden. And this part of play is when a baby is kind of learning their body. They're kind of making a lot of movements with their arms, their legs, hands, feet, etc. And discovering how their body, how their body works and how it moves and how, how it feels to be in their body. An example of this is maybe a baby's supine, so they're on their back and they're wiggling around, or even if they're participating in tummy time, that could be a form of unoccupied play, and they're kind of wiggling their body or leaning side to side. That's them playing. One way that you can encourage this sort of play is just to make sure they have a really safe comfortable place to be. Make sure that their clothing isn't too tight so that they can move freely. Maybe not wrapping them up so much in tight blankets and allowing them that freedom of mobility or even just putting them in that tummy time position. SOTs are huge fans of tummy time. So that could be a great way to facilitate this type of play in a different position other than on their backs. Baby t babies tend to be on their backs a lot. 
Some other things you could do is you could bring in some little rattles or some contrasting visual stimuli like your black, your white, and your red little checkerboards or a mirror or something like that just to give them a little bit more stimulation during that type of play. The second stage of play is solitary play or sometimes called playing alone because that's what this stage looks like. It looks like the child is just playing by themselves. They might be exploring some sensory information by picking toys up or turning them around or putting them in their mouth, but they're not yet quite interested in playing with others. This might look like they go over, they pick up a ball, they drop the ball, or they bounce the ball, and you're saying, roll the ball to me, roll the ball to me, and they're just kind of looking at you, and they drop the ball again, and so you go over and you grab the ball, and you're trying to facilitate this interaction where they're playing with you, and you roll them the ball, and they pick up the ball, and they look around, and then they walk away with the ball, and you're thinking, why aren't they playing with me? Well, because they're not ready to yet. And while this might be a little bit frustrating for us adults to, to see them playing on their own and we want to engage with them and we want them to engage with us, this stage of play is actually really important for a lot of other skills that will develop later. It can help improve and develop self-regulation and their ability just to be okay with themselves. It can also help to, to develop um, different cognitive skills as they're starting to learn and explore their environment. It can help with sensory processing and their exploration of how does something feel, um, how do I move my body with this object, you know, maybe they're placing objects in their mouth a little bit and they're getting some of that input. It can be a great way to start to facilitate that sensory experience. It might also help to increase their ability to focus. A lot of the times when we're focusing, um, we do it independently. And so this can be a great way to start to develop their ability to be okay with themselves and engaged in an item without needing something external. So ways that you can help to encourage this type of play is just provide a variety of age-appropriate toys for the child. These might include toys that are not specific to a certain sex or gender, and so they have a lot of different options to choose from in that regard. It could be a lot of sensory enriching toys, so maybe a little bit of a sensory bin that has um, different fabrics or, you know, a basket of balls, and some are bumpy, and some are squishy, and some are bouncy, and so they kind of get to explore some of the differences between those items. Another way that you can kind of facilitate this sort of play is by rotating toys, so providing maybe four or five different types of toys or little baskets of toys and then a week or two later you swap those out for something different and so they're getting the opportunity to play with a variety of toys and there's some novelty to it so it's something new and exciting it could increase that engagement with those toys and then this might help them from not always going back to the same toy so it allows them to kind of have a larger repertoire, if, you, if you'd like to say, of the things that they're willing to engage in. 
The third stage of play is spectator play, also um, sometimes called onlooker play, and this develops at about two years old. This is where a child is beginning to watch other children play, but they might not yet be playing with them. So this is more of like an observation uh, phase of play. And while at this stage you might really want to be starting to encourage your child to play with their peers or play with maybe members of the family or even just with yourself, it is totally normal that they're just not ready yet. So there's no need to push them or challenge them to engage with others. When they're ready, you will know. They will just start to do that on their own. Unless, of course they are delayed in some of these play skills. So we are talking right now about typical development and what to expect and when these occur. It's a little bit different when you're starting to see some delayed play engagement. But right now we're just talking about this is around two years old. It's totally normal if they're not yet ready to engage yet. It's actually really important for them to observe at this stage because this is how they're learning about social cues and understanding how others are playing before they start to play. They might also be learning how people or their peers are moving their body or navigating certain situations. And so this is starting to develop that praxis ability so that when they're ready, they've they've kind of know then what to expect and how to engage in it. This stage of play can even start to develop some of your ocular motor skills and your ability to maintain a fixed gaze on a target and then pursue it or track it as it's moving or quickly localize two different um, targets. Might be a really good time to start to watch their eyes during this phase of play and see are they able to demonstrate some of those skills. I think as long as your child is watching and they seem curious during this stage, um, then they're right on target for this type of play development. So this onlooker play develops around two years old until about three and a half years old. But I really think that this carries on throughout life. How many times are you, let's say you want to play a sport and you first just want to go and observe before you start playing. Or let's say that you're joining a new gym and you want to go and you want to look around the gym to first see, well, what is the equipment or what are the people like here? And is this the atmosphere that I want before you start to, let's say before you sign up for a membership or before you start to go to that gym. So we're always kind of spectators or onlookers right before we begin in an activity. So if you think about it that way, So ways that you can facilitate the spectator or onlooker play is simply by helping your children be in an environment where they can observe other people's play, especially children's play. I think it's really beneficial for children at this young age to be exposed to other children this age or just a little bit older. So this could look like childcare or daycare programs, maybe a play group or a play date with other um, other kids, other families, other mamas, spending time with people who have similar age children as you, maybe at a park or something like that. 
If you live in a community where this really isn't an option and they don't have these types of programs, or let's say, um, let's say that your baby is immunocompromised and so you really don't feel comfortable exposing your child to some of these bigger groups of children or for whatever, whatever personal reasons that you have. Some ways to do this yourself could be playing with your baby's toys in front of them. So utilizing their toys that are developmentally appropriate and just showing them how to play with them. Um, Maybe you have, maybe they have some siblings or maybe some cousins and so you feel a little bit more comfortable being around family even if those siblings or cousins are a little bit older, that's okay. As long as they're being exposed and have something to observe, um, then that's really, that's really how you're going to facilitate that, that onlooker play. The next stage of play, the fourth stage, is parallel play. For some reason, I feel like parallel play is the most well-known <laughs> of all of the stages of play. Like, people just love to spit out that term, parallel play. Um, so parallel play, there's some mixed, there's some mixed um, information about when this play develops. And so I just want to be transparent about that. Some of the research and articles that I found say that this play develops between two and three years old. Some other um, things that I found say that this play doesn't develop until three or four years old. So I think it's, it's like anything on the developmental scale, it's a scale. And so if your baby's not yet demonstrating parallel play at two and a half years old, again, they might not be ready for it yet. So kind of just put some alerts out to see if maybe around three or three and a half you start to see these before you develop any concerns. Parallel play is kind of as it sounds. So if you think about parallel lines, there are two lines running side by side, but they never cross. Very similar with play, right? So parallel play are, is when your child starts to play next to a peer or next to a sibling, but is not yet engaging in play with that person. They might be playing with similar toys, so maybe it's like a shape sorter or blocks and, you know, your child's playing with the blocks and maybe starting to stack the blocks or, or roll or push the blocks or put them in the shape sorter. And then maybe a friend or a peer is also doing that alongside of them, but they're not handing each other blocks. They're not taking blocks from each other. It's very much still individualized play, but alongside, alongside somebody else. During this stage of play, it might look like they are sharing toys, though. So let's say you had a couple of dolls in front of the two kids, and they're both playing in the dollhouse, although they're not interacting with each other. They might be picking up um, toys from a similar pile, or like a common pile of the dolls, or they might set something down next to the other child, and then the other child picks it up. So it might it might seem like they're starting to engage with each other, but it's still very much individualized. They may even be engaging in a totally separate toy. So maybe um, you have an older an older child who's five or six and they're playing with the dollhouse. And let's say that your two and a half, three-year-old is playing with a little train set and they're next to each other or they're in the same playroom and they're playing 
and they're next to each other, but they're not interacting with each other. That's parallel play. During parallel play, your little one um, is starting to learn and understand social cues. They may even start to develop some empathy. Um, very subtly, but they could begin to recognize the emotions or feelings of others as they're playing alongside of them. As parallel play expands, they might start to learn how to take turns or share or be okay with somebody in their space. This can also be um, a precursor to developing communication skills as they're interacting with somebody in their space in a respectful manner. Ways to help facilitate parallel play. First, they have to have the opportunity to play alongside a peer. So very similar as the spectator onlooker play, start to develop um, some opportunities where your little one can engage with similar aged peers or have the opportunity to play alongside a peer. Allow for your child to initiate interest in being near others before you start to encourage or force that upon them. Some other subtle ways to help facilitate parallel play is the way that you structure the environment. So um, maybe you have a sand pit where the kids can sit together and be in that same environment and it has a very small visual boundary so that they realize that they're sharing a space. Or maybe it is like one of those little children's pool and you've put some sensory items in there and they both climb into the pool. And so again, they have this visual boundary. Um, they can always they can always exit if they'd like to, but it's helping them realize that they are sharing a space with a peer. Similarly, maybe you only provide a few toy options, and so you're just increasing the opportunity that they might play with the same toy. The fifth stage is associative play, and associative play begins around the age of three or four. This type of play is when the child um, begins directly engaging in similar activities or the same activity as their peers. Um, and this really requires um, some social skills or their ability to develop social skills in order to play with others, some communication skills in order to share and share that space with others. Uh, they might start to collaborate and share toys or resources in a more purposeful way. And so they're learning how to cooperate with their peers an example of this is when, let's say, you have three or four kids and they're all playing on uh, the playground together or on a similar piece of playground equipment, but they might be doing different things. Maybe one's going down the slide and one's climbing up the ladder and one's dropping something off the top or one's trying to go up the slide. And so they're kind of interacting in each other's space. And so they're kind of playing with each other, um, but still a little bit more self-directed. Another example is maybe you have four or five little ones sitting down at a table engaging in a craft activity. And while they all have their own craft task, they are sharing the resources such as the glue or the scissors or the paint, but they're primarily focused on their own work. Ways to facilitate associative play. Can you guess? 
providing an opportunity for them to be around similar aged peers. In order to develop a lot of these interactive play skills, we have to provide opportunities for the little ones to be around other little ones. I think this is a huge thing coming out of COVID and why we're seeing not only a delay in some of these play skills, but a lot of the other skills that we've talked about that are either foundations for these play skills or that these play skills are developed, your social interactions, your self-regulation, some of that body awareness of understanding somebody's next to you and they're in that space, but um, you still have control over your own body, but you sense that they're there. Uh, I digress. So how to facilitate associative play. Have opportunities where your children can be in close proximity with each other. So set up a table. Set up those small little spaces um, where they can kind of come together. Also provide toys that are helping to facilitate this as well. So for example, a car track or a train track with multiple cars or trains. So they can both be interacting with the car track or the train track, but they have opportunities to do things a little bit more independently by having their own car to use. Another example might be a dollhouse with several dolls. So they're sitting at the dollhouse together. They're interacting with that same toy. Maybe they're starting to create little, um, you know, walking into the same room together or little interactions with each other, but they have their own dolls that they're in control of. Creating those craft activities, things like that. So you are more of a facilitator of this experience or opportunity, and maybe you are modeling this and how they can share. Um, but again, allowing them to engage as they feel ready. And the sixth stage of play is cooperative play. Cooperative play begins a little after four years old. You might start to see this at four, maybe four and a half, a little bit closer to five. Cooperative play is when the child begins to engage and interact with peers and that play starts to happen together. Both children have invested in each other in that activity and are maybe even working towards a common goal in their play. So similar examples as before with the car, the racetrack, the train track, or the dollhouse, they're still engaging with those same toys, but now they're communicating with each other. Let's say they're going to build the train track together, and so the goal is to have an assembled train track, and so they're doing that together, utilizing those communication and self-regulation skills to do that. Let's say in their little dollhouse play, They want to create a little skit where everybody in the dollhouse is going to make breakfast or have a little meal and then get in the little Barbie car and go someplace together. And so they're working together with that common goal in mind, navigating that together. Some other examples might be like, did you ever do this as a kid? You like set up your room and you're going to like play school or you're going to like play house. I don't know why as a kid, we, my friends and I always like to play school and we'd set up little desks and we would have like a whiteboard or a chalkboard or something and one would be the teacher and one would like two or three would be the students or one would be the principal and my gosh, as if we wanted any more school 
um, I guess, experiences. Like, as if school wasn't enough, we also had to play school um, and do some of that role-playing. Another example might be you're just taking turns throwing or kicking a ball back and forth, um, building Lego structures together, and you're kind of starting to follow some of the directions to put pieces in a certain place to build your castle. Board games are an example, so you're taking turns. Um, Even some organized sports is an example here because you have a common goal in place and you have to collaborate and communicate in order to achieve that goal. During cooperative play, children are learning to understand the perspectives and ideas of others, kind of how to work together with somebody else or even as a small team. They're developing a lot of their language skills in order to compromise, negotiate, negotiate, hear each other's ideas or concerns. Also, this stage of play really helps to develop children's self-confidence and their independence to have their own ideas and communicate their own ideas, as well as that self-regulation when something doesn't go their way or the ability to be flexible and allow for somebody else's idea to be heard. Maybe you're starting to vote a little bit and you have a group of friends and you're voting on what activity to do next or how to, how, what the next step in your play is going to be. And so you have to deal with some of that letdown if your idea isn't voted for. Needless to say, this kind of play can be a little bit tricky (laughs) Um, and maybe cause a few arguments and so maybe we need some adult guidance in order to navigate some of these sticky situations. Ways to help facilitate this cooperative play. Start to build uh, opportunities for those group dynamics. So whether you're getting out some costume clothes for children to play with or you're starting to organize a sport or you're getting out some of those board games and setting them up and helping to read through the directions. Really here as an adult you're more of the facilitator. Then you are like the leader or the one telling kids what to do. I think it's really important to allow them to try to navigate these experiences and then you step in only as needed, but you're kind of still there and monitoring. I also think during this stage of play, um, it's kind of fun to think back when you were playing and remembering situations or things that were tricky when you were, you know, a young kid engaging in cooperative play or, or kind of like how I was talking about how my friends and I would play school. Like I can think of some specific examples that were hard for me or that maybe my friends weren't so flexible or <laughs> some of those situations. And so just creating some space and some grace Um, and remembering your own experiences when you're trying to help facilitate others at this age, I think is really important. Alrighty, well, that's our part two on the stages of play. The next couple of episodes, we're going to break down some other types of play, um, as well as how to facilitate those types of play. And then also, what does play look like as an adult? I hope this podcast was helpful. I hope it gave you some good information on the stages of play, what to look for. I hope I gave you some real clear examples and some tangible ideas um, and tools that you can use to help facilitate each, each stage of play. All right, until next time. 
Thanks for listening. As a reminder, this podcast is not medical advice and does not replace the potential need for skilled and individualized therapeutic services. Please consult your pediatrician or occupational therapist for specific questions about your child. Similarly, these are my personal and professional views and opinions. If something I say does not feel right to you or is different from what you have learned, please follow your own intuition and learning quest. And remember, science and language are always changing and growing. I will try my best to stay as up-to-date as possible, but I myself am always learning. If you have any follow-up questions or requests for future podcasts, feel free to reach out to me on my Instagram at ot underscore with underscore Marissa. See you soon.